His name is Tattoo. If you could put that up, uh, Colleen. Uh, he's a basset hound. And uh, if uh, a picture can tell a thousand, uh, you know, words, that, what a picture that is. Uh, Tattoo was not having a good day. Unfortunately, Tattoo had his leash stuck in his master's car and uh, went for a run that he had never planned on going for. And uh, they didn't realize it, but, but, but they were going on an evening uh, drive and, and uh, Tattoo was uh, following behind in tow. And uh, fortunately, he, he, he wasn't seriously hurt. Fortunately, there was a motorcycle policeman who was observing that something was going on and that this car was pulling something along the road. And so he was able to stop the vehicle, but not before it reached speeds of about 25 miles an hour. And this is what the police officer reported or put in his report. He saw a hound dog, he said, putting it down, picking it up and putting it down as fast as he could. A couple of rollovers. And so when the police officer pulled the car over to the side and said, did you realize that you're, you're towing a dog behind the car that was a husband and wife, they, they, to be upset, of course, they were very upset. They jumped out of the car and they were yelling, tattoo, tattoo, tattoo. Well, tattoo doesn't answer by the name of tattoo anymore, sadly to say. But, uh, you know, he wasn't seriously hurt. But, you know... They, they, they say that dog years are about like seven in ratio, seven to our one year, you know? But for some reason, I kind of feel that the experience kind of aged Tattoo just a little bit beyond his eight months. Listen, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a day like that? Have you ever had a bad day like Tattoo where you're putting it down and picking it up as fast as you can and you seem to be you know, kind of being dragged along on a journey you never wanted to go on, and you're on this, 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 this kind of a situation, and you're having a bad day, right? Listen, you, you don't have to say, all right, you can join the club, because I tell you what, if you have a birth certificate, then you're already a part of the, the membership of the club. It's called Welcome to the World, the world where, you know, people have problems and people have troubles, uh, all the time. I, I've got a, a ringtone I wanted to share with you this morning. My, my grandkids love this when I, when I do this. It goes like this. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, just look right in my face. Honestly, though, you know, we, we, we don't have to go looking for trouble. Trouble comes looking for us. Isn't that true? I mean, every single one of us at, at some point in some season or some area of our life, no matter how young or how old you are, you, you, you know what troubles are. Remember that song? Uh, Mama said there'd be days like this. There'd be days like this, my mama said. You know, there's a lot of truth in that. But mama also said, don't worry. I think it's kind of... Something similar that Jesus was, was kind of wanting to give his disciples a heads up. And, and, he, and he said basically something very similar. He said, he said listen, guys, in, in this world, in this life, you will have troubles. But don't worry. Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. There's a cliche that says into every person's life a little rain must fall. But sometimes it's not just drizzling. 
Sometimes it rains in, 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 in torrents, and it comes down pretty hard. So I want to talk to you this morning. What, what are we to do in cases like that? Several years ago, uh, my son Anthony, whom I'm very proud of, uh, my firstborn son, said to me, Dad, he said, we're doing a study at our practice, and we're doing a cardiac uh, study uh, with, with, with CT scans, and, and, and it'll be a great opportunity to, to find out how your arteries are, how your heart's doing. And, and so I said, all right, I'll, I'll, you know, let's, let's, let's do it. So I went down to his, his practice, and they gave me the scan, you know, and he comes back, and he's got this look on his face, you know, like, Dad, the good news is your arteries are clear. Your heart's in good shape. <clears throat> However, we, we found something on the lower lobe of one of your lungs. It's about, a, oh, it's about an inch in diameter, and it shouldn't be there. Dad, you got to have it checked out. So we started the process. You know, you, you go to the doctor. The doctor examines you. You, you have more tests. We, we found some x-rays that I had about maybe about seven or eight, maybe 10 years ago. And uh, we, we compared that. And, and we, I had to go to a, a pulmonary uh, specialist in Nassau County. And uh, the guy examined me, and he, and he looked at the x-rays, and he looked at the, the CT scan. We had the whole thing. And in his consultation, this is what he said. He said, you know what? He says, I can't tell you that you don't have cancer. And I can't tell you that you do have cancer. We just, we just don't know. But, but he said, if it was me, he said, I, I, I would have whatever it is removed. Now, now, what does that involve, doctor? Well, it removes the removal of half of your, half of your lung. And, and how long is the recovery? Well, about six months, maybe to a year of recovery. I said, is there, a, is there somebody else I can talk to? You know, I, I'd like to have a second opinion. So we arranged the second opinion. But, but meanwhile, you know, you, you don't get a doctor's appointments all in one day. They, they're kind of stretched out. And, and back at the ranch... Back at the ranch, you know, and all these different thoughts are going through your mind about, you know, what, what, what's, what's going to happen, you know? And, 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 the, and the thought is like, you know, do I have cancer? Well, I used to smoke many years ago. Do, do, do I have cancer? And then, and then, you know, what, that fear comes knocking at night, you know, that anxiety and fear. And it always happens right about when you're trying to fall asleep. And it's at, that, it's at that moment that you have a choice. You can open the door and entertain fear and worry and anxiety. Or you can open the door and say, get out. Because I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm not going to be fearful. And you can begin pulling out some of the promises of God. Some of the promises like, like David said in Psalm chapter 3, I laid me down and slept for the Lord sustained me. In Psalm 3, David says, many there be that set themselves against me round about, and many there say of my soul, there's no help for him in God, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. And you, and you have that choice in, in those moments like that. You have a choice. You can either give in to fear and give in to worry and anxiety, or you can, you can fight against the fears and the anxieties. You know, th there's a lot of talk these days about uh, stopping bullying that's going on in schools and on school buses, and that's a good thing. But you know what? There's, there's a bully who is on the spiritual realm 
the God of this world, Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, who loves to oppress and loves to harass the people of God. And you know what? It's always going to be that way. His bullying is never going to stop, no matter, no matter what anybody tries to organize. But the thing that we can do is we can fight back. We can resist the devil, and he will flee from us if we learn how to resist the powers of darkness. Now, what I want to share with you this morning is I decided, I decided to wait. I decided to look. One of the other doctors that, that we talked to over in Stony Brook said, you know what? He said, you could have it taken out if you want, or we could wait six months and take another picture and see what it's like. If it grows, if it gets any bigger, then, then take it out. So six months passes. And it's the same size. And then another six months passes. And, and for two years, I was in that period of, well, you know, but you don't know. And, and, and watching and waiting. And during, the, and during those two years, let me tell you what I learned in those two years. You ready? Never, never volunteer to do a medical exam again. <laughs> don't listen to your firstborn son. He, no, just kidding, just kidding. You know? Listen, what, 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 I, what I have learned in that is what I've always known, and, and that is that, that God is to be trusted. Let me tell you, God gives us grace when we face the unknown or when we face the known. You say, well, well, well what if it didn't work out that way? What if you had to have surgery? Well, I want you to know that God has an app for that. God has grace for that. And God can give us grace even in the midst of the most negative of circumstances. God is with us. He's for us. He's not against us. I want to share with you this, this truth this morning that I believe can set us free. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Because he has overcome the world, so we can become more than overcomers in him. Now, let me, let me just say this. I, I believe this statement. I believe the greater our need, the closer our God comes to us. So if you're here this morning and you are in great need, I want you to know that God is closest to you in the midst of your great need. In fact, I, I, I believe that God is strongest in us when we are weakest and God comes alongside of us. I'd like to share in a few minutes, I'm not ready yet, but I want to talk to you about Psalm 46 this morning. It's a great psalm of encouragement. You know, it's, it's the psalm where the whole world is falling apart. Mountains are, are quaking and oceans are roaring. But, but the psalmist says this. He says, but our God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We're going to get to that therefore. It's like, I, I like to think of it like this. It's like adding up the columns. And it's that line that you draw at the bottom of, you know, a, a, a column of arithmetic. You know, it's that line. Therefore, we will not fear. This is the sum of it. And the reason why we can say we will not fear, we will not be afraid, is because of everything that comes before that. But I before we do that, I, I want to look at something else first. It's because I really believe that the greater our need, the closer God comes to us. You see, the Bible says that God is near to those who are hurting. He's near to the brokenhearted, that God comes near those who are in desperate situations. Let me ask you this question. What do you think 
a star, stars have in common with people? Is there anything that stars have in common with people? On this great big fiery ball in the sky we call our sun that is many, many times the size of our planet, you know, and it's a great big ball again. I mean, what does it possibly have? What's the connection, you know? And, and yet there is a, a connection that comes through divine inspiration for us in the Psalms. I want to look at just another Psalm for just, just a, a brief moment. And that's Psalm 147, verse 3. Here's this strange connection. He says, he, God, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of stars. He calls them all by name. So, so, so notice the connection. He says, he says that God heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. And God brings forth the stars. He numbers them and he calls them forth by name. And you know that there are billions of stars in the universe. And we, we mentioned that last week. Maybe, a, maybe the possibility of 100 to 200 you know, billion galaxies in the universe, you know, and, and just, just mind-blowing, right? So what's, a, what's, this, what's this connection in the attributes that, that the psalmist is talking about? He's talking about the active compassion and the tenderness or the mercy of God connected with the majesty of God in the order of creation. God manifesting himself both in the remotest and in the nearest things of what we know about, the remotest being the universe, we know some things about the universe, but, but we know a whole lot more about pain. We know a whole lot more about hurts. We know a whole lot more about what it is to have a broken heart in a very personal way. That which is very huge and that which is very little. And here's this, here's this amazing connection. At first glance, it seems to be absolutely implausible that there should be this connection. But what's the application? The application, I believe the psalmist is saying, is that God, who is infinitely majestic in his power, who brings forth the stars, numbers them, calls them by name, is also condescending and humble to heal the brokenhearted he is infinitely compassionate and merciful. God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and mind. Our God is an awesome God. We sing that, that song. But did you know the connection? When, when, when preachers talk about the distance between our thoughts and, and God's thoughts, they often quote from Isaiah 58 where it says that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so High are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. But did you know the connection, the context of that? It's not just talking about the superior mind or wisdom of God. It's talking about the infinite mercy of God who will pardon and have show forgiveness to anyone who will come to him. God is great and infinite in mercy. In fact, the Bible says, his compassions are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. He is great in mercy. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a committed follower to Jesus Christ, I just want to tell you that we're thrilled that you're here and that you're giving, sharing this time with us this morning. And I want you to know that there is nothing more precious in all the universe and all of life than knowing that you know that you know that your sins have been forgiven. And that really is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus came as the sin bearer, as the Lamb of God to take away sin. 
and that, that your sins can be forgiven, that you can have a relationship with God through the gospel. That is, it is good news, not of what you have done, but rather it's good news of what Jesus Christ has done for you and as you. And I, I, just, I just want you to know that there is such joy in that. And you know what? One of the things that those who are the enemies of Jesus in the Gospels, they meant to disparage the character of Jesus. They meant to hurt and to wound Jesus by, by accusing him of being a friend of sin. Is that accusation that Jesus is a friend of sin has become for us the, the means by which we have such encouragement because not only is Jesus a friend of sinners, but the Bible teaches that he is a friend who loves at all times, that, he, that we have a friend who is closer than a brother and that Jesus can be that friend to you and that you can know before you leave this place today the joy of having your sins forgiven. And I want you to know this. And for everyone else who are followers of Jesus, once you become a child of God, you will always be a child of God. God has never torn up anyone's new birth certificate. There is eternal security for those who put their trust and confidence in God. And that that may disturb some people because they kind of feel, well, maybe that will kind of give some people a license to sin and, 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 and cause their to be this devaluing of obedience. But in fact, the very opposite is true. When we come to realize that it's this incredible grace that's been extended toward us. No, grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Rather than, rather than see, once, once guilt and fear is taken off of the table, something else as a motivation is put on the table, and that motivation is a love that constrains us and compels us to serve the one who gave himself for us. We judge thus that the one who died for all, that we should no longer live for ourselves, but that we should live unto him who gave himself for us. That's the motivation. And that, that is assurance. That is the blessed assurance that we have that Jesus is our Savior. Now, I want us to look this morning at that Psalm, Psalm 46. And we begin with the title because let me just say this, that some Psalms, and many of them do, the majority of them do, have titles. And the titles are important. They're a part of the inspired Word of God. But they're also keys sometimes to help us understand when a psalm was written, the author of who wrote it. Sometimes we have it as a psalm of David or a psalm of Moses and, and so on. Uh, but th- 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 there's information there that should not be passed over lightly. So we begin with the title, For the Director of Music of the Sons of Korah, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, therefore, there is the line, because God is our help, because God is our refuge and our strength, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Listen, it can't get any worse than this. Everything around you is falling apart. Though its waters or oceans roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging. And here's this little word called Selah. Selah is, 
is a musical reference. It's a musical term, and that is that the choir at that point is to rest. They are to draw back. But there is a spiritual rest for the people of God. When we learn how to enter into God's rest, there is a peace that is supernatural that is inexplicable. That even when you're in the midst of mountains quaking and oceans roaring and surging, that you can know a peace. Let's read on. Verse 4 says, there is a river. Notice the contrast. The contrast between the upheaval that's taking place in the first several verses, and there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at daybreak, at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And again, Selah. Now, I want to give you the historical background in a couple of minutes as to why this psalm is so significant. But let's start with that title. A psalm, a song that was directed to the descendants of Korah. Now, now, who who is Korah? Who who are Korah's children? Korah, uh, you might know if you've ever read Numbers chapter 16. Back in the day, Korah was one of the three men who gathered together in a coup d'etat, in a rebellion against Moses when they were crossing in the wilderness. And in this uprising to to throw off Moses and to throw off the Lord from following the Lord, Korah and two other men gathered together, some of the people, and and there was this coup d'etat that was taking place. But the coup d'etat, I want you to know, failed miserably. God did something on that day that was absolutely, well, it was frightening. It was, if, you are, if you are in rebellion against God, then you should fear. The Bible says, knowing both the goodness of God and the severity of God, we persuade man. You know, there, 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 was, there, there was that side of, of God. He is absolutely merciful, but he's also just. And, and when it comes to rebellion, listen, the Bible says that a house divided against itself cannot stand. So God, in his mercy, was preserving the wholeness of the congregation of the Lord by bringing judgment upon the three men and their household. And the Bible says that this is what happened, that the ground opened up where the men were standing. The ground opened up, and they went alive down into the pit. That's a frightening vision. But that's exactly what happened, and the ground closed up again. You know, it's funny. I heard just this this week there was a a home in which a, a man was in his bed, in his bedroom, and the ground opened up, and, and, and he, he was un- unfortunately, tragically lost in that. His brother was trying to help him, jumped into the hole, and, and, and just in this pit. I mean, stuff like this does happen. There may be an explanation to this, but, but it says, nevertheless, notwithstanding, not all of the children of Korah died that day. God, in his mercy, was having mercy upon whom he will have mercy. God, in his sovereign choice. And so what we have in that first verse, or actually in the title of the psalm, is God acting in sovereign grace. 
having mercy upon whom he will have mercy. Can I just tell you this morning that if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as Savior, you are here. There's no difference between you and every other rebel and every other rebellion that's ever been on planet Earth. There's no difference. The only difference is that grace distinguishes us. That God has not appointed us to obtain wrath, but to obtain mercy. Why? It's, it's God's choice. If he has made himself known to us and that we are trusting in Christ as Savior, it is distinguishing grace that has separated us for God's purpose. And, 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 and those sons of Korah, they became at that moment, not only did they receive mercy, but God had an appointment for them. And their appointment was, listen, their appointment was to become singers in the courts of God. We, we have in our church, we have several different worship teams. They became a significant part of the worship team in the courts of God. That is pure grace. None of us deserve to even be associated with God. But God in his grace and mercy has showed himself kind toward us. Could you imagine for a minute the, the emotional state of, of, of these descendants of Korah, when they sang this line, therefore we will not fear though the earth give way. Could you, I, just, I could just see tears running down their face as they, as they realized their history in God, that God spared them so that they might, listen, not only have life, but that they might become a part of the family of God to the place where they were ministering to God in the courts of our God. Tears of gratitude, tears of joy. If we don't, listen, if we don't shed tears of gratitude and tears of joy every once in a while, then we need to go back to the cross and we need to remember all that God is doing for us. L- listen, listen to a quote from Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers. He says this, he says, we have many things in our possession at this present moment which can be shaken. Actually, everything can be shaken. And it ill becomes a believer to set much store for them. That is, to put your hope in them. For there is nothing stable beneath the rolling skies. Change is written upon all things. Yet we have certain things which cannot be shaken. And that he's talking about a kingdom. Where, he says, whatever, you, whatever your losses have been or may be, you enjoy present salvation. You are standing at the foot of the cross, trusting alone in the merit of Jesus' precious blood. And no rise or fall of the markets can interfere with your salvation in him. No breaking of the banks, no failures, no bankruptcies can touch that. God is your father. No change of circumstances can ever rob you of that. We will see the wreck of everything, earth-born, and yet rejoice in the God of salvation. What's he saying is that everything in this world will be shaken. Everything is going to be turned upside down. God promises that he will do this, but we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved. And you can receive that kingdom this morning by putting your trust and your confidence in God. I just, I just throw a challenge out. Any, anyone, just show me anywhere, just show me any place in the scriptures where God ever failed anyone who put their trust in him. It's impossible 
for God to fail. Those who put their trust and their confidence in God. Martin Luther wrote a hymn that became very famous. It's called The Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther, whom God used to turn the world upside down, had tremendous unflappable and unshakable confidence in his God. He had to. That's why, that's why he, he, he wrote that song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And they say that Psalm 46 was his favorite psalm. You know, he would say to his associate, when, when things were bad and when, and when all the world was against him and fury rose up against him to destroy him, what, what he would say to his associate was, come, let us sing the 46th psalm and let the devil do his worst. There was an unshakable confidence in God. Listen, it's the same confidence that Elijah had when he was standing before King Ahab and before Jezebel. It's the same kind of confidence, listen, that the apostle Paul had before the the Jewish people that were persecuting him and the Romans who captured him. That's the same kind of confidence that you and I can have. And don't let their fame, listen, put you off. Because let me tell you, you can have the same kind of trust and confidence in God this morning. For the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. I believe Psalm 46 is one of those great encouragements. So let me just give you a little bit more of the historical background. It's believed that Isaiah... Or Hezekiah wrote Psalm 46. I lean toward Isaiah. And it was that time, and you can read about this in both the book of Isaiah and the book of Kings, where Zennacherib, the king of Assyria, this furious maniac king who was, who was crushing kingdom after kingdom, nation after nation was falling underneath his mighty army. And now he came and he set his eyes upon Jerusalem. And he, and he sends letters to, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, for the demand of an unconditional surrender. Open up the gates. We're coming in. And Hezekiah, together with the prophet Isaiah, went before the Lord and they spread the letters out before God. And they said, Lord, here is what Zennacherib, king of Assyria, is saying. And he's accusing that, that none of the other gods of the other nations were able to help. But, oh God, our eyes were fixed on you. And, and Isaiah had a prophetic word. And this is what he said. Second Kings 19, verse 32 says, Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city nor shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. And then it says this, verse 35 That night, the angel of the Lord went out, one angel went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. And when the people, because not all were killed, but when those who were still alive, when the people got up the next morning, they were all dead bodies. So Zennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew, and he returned to Nineveh. And he stayed there. Good idea. Don't come back to Jerusalem because this is what God will do. And this is what God did. Sent one angel and that night, 185,000 perished. Listen, 
Remember what I said a little while ago, and I was joking around what I, what I learned out of my experience? I, I want to know what did Isaiah learn from this experience? What's the takeaway? What, what did he glean as a result of having gone through this, this horrific experience where they describe it as the world in an upheaval, nations, you know, falling. And, and, and yet, here's what God says in verse 8. It says, come and see. This is what they like. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth, those dead bodies. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. And this is, and this is the great takeaway. And, and, and this is what I, I, I pray for each and every one of us this morning, that we could learn how to, listen, be still and know that I am God. When everything else is falling apart around us, to learn how to be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted, God says, among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth, the Lord Almighty. This is the takeaway. God Almighty, he is with us, the God of Jacob. He is our refuge. And so you, you, you have to ask, you know, it's okay to ask the preacher a question. And, the, and, and I know that you would ask me this this morning. How do you do that? How do you still your soul when everything else is falling apart around you? How do you quiet your soul? See, I really, I really do believe that Isaiah wrote this because he wrote something very similar in verse uh, 30 of his book. Verse 15, it says, In quietness and in trust or confidence shall be your strength. How do we discover that God is for us a very present help in time of See, I said a little while ago that, that whether God comes through or whether the operation is necessary, that God has grace for that, that, that he gives grace and he gives glory. There's no good thing that he will withhold to those who are his children. Well, how do we do that? I think we got to jump to... A New Testament principle. I, I, think, I think the Apostle Paul puts his finger right on this in Philippians chapter 4. And he tells us in every situation we find ourselves in, in every circumstance, and no matter how bad things look like outwardly, he said, let your request, let your needs be made known. Even though God knows it already, yet there is something about the principle of telling God what you need and do it with thanksgiving. And then Paul said something is going to happen. The peace of God that's inexplicable. Paul, Paul gives us this, this written guarantee that the peace of God, that when you do that, when you enter into this place of trust in the transaction with God, Paul says that there is a peace that is, that is beyond ex expressing that, that will guard your mind and your heart through Christ. That's exactly where I need this peace. I need, I need a peace that is supernatural, that's outside of myself, that is going to keep my mind from wandering, that's going to keep my, my imagination intact, that's going to keep me from opening that door to worry and anxiety and to say no. But how do I do that? All right, I do that by prayer. I do that by committing. I do that by thanking God. But then Paul also added this. He said, for whatever things are good, and whatever things are lovely and whatever things are, are just, and if there be any virtue, if there are things that are pure, think on these things. And then not only, listen, then not only is this peace that comes from outside of us 
with us, guarding, garrisoning our mind and our heart. But then he said this, which is most important, and the God of peace, God himself, shall be with you. In this series, we, 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 we've looked at the sovereignty of God, that, that this God with whom we have to do, not a sparrow falls to the ground without the will of my Father in heaven, Jesus said. And then, we, and then we, we, we looked not only at the sovereignty of God, but at the, the unconditional love of God that, that Jesus gave us the promise that not even one worthless or, or worth little sparrow is forgotten by God, that God has engraved us on the palms of his hand, and it's impossible that he should forget about us. He knows exactly what we're going through right now. And then we said last week that, that God's wisdom and his ways are inscrutable. They're past our ability to find out. And there are some things that we have no answers to, but that's where absolute trust is so absolutely necessary. And that's why, that's why trust matters so much. Because we can't always figure out what, what's God's next move. But we know this, that God is, God is loving, God is wise, and God is merciful. But not only is he loving, wise, and merciful, we sang about that a little while ago. One of the last songs that we sang, his love never fails, he never gives up, he never holds out on me. But it's not just his love. Listen, if he, if, if he was anything like us, he, he may be hot one day and, and cold the next. But he's not like us. He, he, he is immutable in this world where everything around us is changing. And, and you know what they say? You can never step into the same river twice because it's constantly changing. Well, the only thing that is in this universe that is not changing, that dwells outside of time and space, is God who is immutable. And Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that, listen, because of that, that gives me the assurance that the one, listen, who loves me with an everlasting love, who never had a beginning and never has an ending, the God who always is, never becoming, because God always is, I am that I am, that means that, means that, that, that his love for me always was as as. Nothing was ever added to God and nothing could ever be taken away from God. That, that therefore, this God who is immutable, that is, he does not change, he cannot change, offers such comfort to you and I this morning, especially when we're in the midst of pain, when we're feeling broken in some way, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, whether it's financially, whether it's relationship-wise, that God has everything under control. Listen to what? A theologian by the name of Arthur Pink said, he said, here is solid comfort. Human nature cannot be relied upon, but God can. However unstable I may be, however fickle my friends may prove, God changes not. If he varied as we do, if he willed one thing today and another tomorrow, if he were controlled by impulse, who could confide in him? But he is ever the same. His purpose is fixed. His will stable. His word sure. Here then is a rock on which we may fix our feet. While the mighty torrent sweeps away everything around us, the permanence of God's character guarantees the fulfillment of his promises. What he has promised will come to pass. 
And we have, listen, exceeding great and precious promises. In some of the darkest periods of my life, what has arisen in me is a song like the song of Psalm 46. See, there's something powerful about singing the word of God, something powerful about quoting the word of God. But when you put it to music, which is what Psalm 46 was, it's a song. Something dynamic is released. A number of years ago, well, in fact, I heard about this this week. Listen, I want you to know this, that learning how to be still in the midst of life storms really is, is precious. And I heard about this week, maybe you have too. I think it was someplace here on Long Island, maybe in the Hamptons or... Uh, these two guys, they bought this bungalow and and when they were cleaning it out, they discovered uh, a bunch of uh, art uh, that this gentleman had left behind. Uh, It was like maybe hundreds of prints. Anybody hear about this? It was valued, listen, it was valued at $30 million. I told my wife about this. She says, honey, why can't you find stuff like that? You know, I don't know, you know. But, but it was, listen, I, but I found something that is more precious than, than that art. And to speak about art, some years ago, a major art gallery sponsored a competition and there were prizes being offered. Who, who can come up with the best canvas uh, that expressed peace? And a number of, a number of uh, artists had, had uh, given their entries and, and many of them were different kind of landscapes and, 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 and all kinds of uh, entries were made. But, but the winner was an absolute surprise. The scene was an ocean in, in a violent storm. The sky was ominous. Lightning was cutting across the skies. The waves were crashing against the rocks and the cliffs. And yet you say, well, where's the peace in all that? Where, Where's the peace in all that? You had to look really carefully because about halfway up the cliff, there was a bird's nest and tucked in his tiny little crevice in the rock, a mother bird was sitting on a nest and her little babies were tucked underneath her wings and they were sound asleep. And that was the winner of peace. And what I want you to know this morning is that peace is not the absence of storms. But peace is finding safety and security in the everlasting arms of God, safe and secure. Underneath his wings, in the shadow of his wings, the psalmist said, will I rest? Will I trust? No matter when you're born, what period of time you're born, how old you are, we are born in troubled times. Trouble is a part of our our world. I mean, that's just the way that it is. But for the heart that is trusting in God, the heart that is fixed by putting its trust in God, what what I want you to take away with this morning, what I want you to know is this, the greater the trouble, the nearer God is to us. The greater the trouble, the nearer God makes himself. And it's at those moments that God comes alongside of us because that's the nature of God. John Wesley, Charles Wesley, they, they, they were evangelists. And uh, somebody, somebody asked, they had 11 children in their family. Somebody asked John Wesley's mother, 
which of your 11 children do you love the most? And her answer was as wise as the question was foolish. And she said, the one that I love the most is the one that's sick until he's well and the one that's not at home until he's back at home. And I really have a feeling that God is just like that, that he is near to those who are brokenhearted, that he is sympathetic, that we have a great high priest who is touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. And he comes alongside of us. Last night, my wife and my daughter were texting one another, and I took a look at the phone to see what they were texting. And Kelly had texted this to, to, to her mom. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here I am in the power of Christ. And Kathy answered her back and said, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when silent, when, when striving ceases, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. And then Kelly went back and she responded, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Do you know him this morning, the one who commands your destiny? He has you safe and secure from all life's harms, trusting and resting in the everlasting arms. I'd like to pray for you this morning. If you're here today and you are in need of peace, God has peace for you. As you would let your requests be made known to him, you just tell God what you need right now where you are. And as we pray, and you do that with thanksgiving, I want to pray that a supernatural peace will come upon you and that the God of peace himself will come and make himself draw near to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning once again, that we can come before you, that Jesus has made a way for us through his blood, through the veil of his own flesh, that Jesus who gave himself for us and as us, our substitute, he himself is ever living to make intercession for us. And so, Father, we come this morning to appropriate, Lord God, these requests that we present to you this morning, represented by every need that's here today, Lord God, you are especially near to those who are broken hearted, who are in pain and who are wounded. I pray even now, Father, that as they turn their needs over to you, that you would fulfill that promise that was made by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that peace would be released in this place and that joy would be would be our strength this morning, that you would release now the comfort. Put your arms around each and every one of us this morning as we tangibly experience what's inexplicable, the love of God that we know cast out all fear. I thank you, Father, that you've replaced guilt and fear with, with a love that is compelling, a love that is constraining. And for that this morning, we just want to give you thanks. 
And we said together, amen. Let's all stand and worship him today.